listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. We're almost near the end. We're in the last nine verses. We're in the, in the home stretch, but today we're not going to cover all nine verses. We're going to look at one verse, we're, um, and it's not going to take us nine weeks now to get through this, but today there's one verse of importance, one verse that I believe we need to look at, focus on, and then use this verse as a springboard to look at some other verses, because I believe we live in a world that needs some hope. Do you need some hope today? I mean, one thing, you can go, go away on vacation, but one thing you can't escape is the news. You can't escape a broke, the broken world that we're living in. I mean, just seeing the turmoil and, and hearing of the chaos, you turn on the news, you talk to family, you talk to friends, you talk to different things going on in the lives of people. We see rising tensions in where? The Middle East and in North Korea, the United States, unrest um, in Venezuela, the Philippines, continued terrorism all over the world. This past week, Barcelona saw some terrorism. Racial unrest like we haven't, you just can't even fathom can still be taking place in the United States. We see increasing sexual and gender identity issues and the definition of marriage and all the confusion that goes with that. And then there's the personal stuff, the relational things that we face with family, with friends, marriages, uh, uh, just, just work situations. And, and then even while we were away hearing of Ryan Robertson, one of the staff members at Harvest Oakville, he's, he's the director of finances. He's been here to preach and to, to and helps along with, with our church plant here in, in so many behind-the-scenes way. Um, just in the last few weeks, has been diagnosed with cancer. And um, he's just in his, his late 30s, I believe. I don't even know if he's hit 40 yet and is, is going through cancer treatment. Another Harvest senior pastor, Harvest York region, uh, here in, in, in Canada, in Ontario, Paul Whittingstall, suffered a heart attack a number of weeks ago, and, and, and thankfully he's doing well. Another Harvest pastor in the States, uh, one morning woke up to their house on fire and was completely destroyed in a fire. And so these things happen and, 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 and then you have relational issues and then you just look at ahead, you look at the road ahead, maybe your finances, your work, and you wonder, how is this going to happen? You look at your children, your grandchildren, and you think, what kind of world is this, are we growing up in and, and, and what can we do? Oh Lord, we need some hope. And I believe that God's word and what we're going to look at today gives us hope. Hope for a troubled world and that's what we're going to look at here this morning. This world is troubled, our families are troubled, are, are troubled in so many different ways, and, and we are seeing in all of these different issues uh, just the underlining need for hope and for help. And so today we're looking at this from John chapter 5, and, and here's the verse we're going to look at and then use this as a springboard for some other passages. First John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know Beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven. Beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. And you see, 1 John in many ways has been working and building towards this verse. It's taken 96 verses that we've been working through to build to the confidence that we can know that we have eternal life. And then the verses following this that we'll get into in, in, in the following week, um, uh, we'll get into next week, 
continues on with a further confidence. Not only can we know that we have eternal life, but we also can have with confidence in verses 14 and 17, if you just look at the passage there, you, you see that we can have confidence that our prayers are, just won't be heard, but they will be answered. We can then, in verse 18, we can be confident that we can experience victory over sin. Are you experiencing a lot of discouragement and defeat in the area of sin? We can be confident that we can experience victory over sin. Another area of confidence in verse 19 is that we, a confidence that we belong to God, that nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And then another area of great confidence we can have is confident that we have the real, real thing. We're not following some false god or just some, some crazy religion out there. No, we have the real thing and we be confident of that. And so these last nine verses are incredible reminders as to what we can possess as followers of Jesus Christ. The confidence that we can have. The confidence that God wants us to have. He doesn't want us walking around, going through life, am I saved, am I not saved? Am I going to heaven, am I not going to heaven? He doesn't want, he wants us to know. He wants us to know, he wants us to understand how we can have this eternal life and know that we have it. And all of this series has been about having an authentic faith. It's about an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. But sadly, one of the problems that we see today, as John was confronting in his day, and we're seeing it today, many false teachers, and there are many people even today who think that they're going to heaven, that think they have an authentic faith, but they don't. They're misguided. They've been um, not taught well from the word of God. They've been misguided in their teaching that they have, have, and, and they do not possess an authentic faith. They do not possess one day eternal life, or even this day, eternal life. And then there are those of, of God's children that should have the confidence but are walking in fear and walking in uh, wondering if they have eternal life. This book of 1 John is all about an authentic faith. And as we have been working through this book, you're going to see a few things flash up here on the screen just as, as, as we do this, just to remind us. This is just a quick recap for us because I don't want you to think that eternal life is just for anyone and all people. It is for people who have an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And three themes that we kept coming to throughout this book, through the last 96 verses, is that we must it starts, an authentic faith starts with believing rightly about Jesus, having the right understanding of who Jesus is as the one and only Son of God and putting our faith and our trust in Him and in Him alone and believing in the work, in the finished work of Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins. Those are past messages that we've talked about. It's believing in Jesus rightly. When we believe in Jesus rightly, that's where it all begins and when we receive him into our lives. And, and then second of all, an, an authentic faith is evidenced by a growing obedience, a g- obedience to the word of God, turning, um, turning to the word of God and seeing it as our guidebook and, and using it to, to fuel our lives and, and to direct us in the ways. And, and it's not about living it perfectly because we can't live it perfectly. No one has, only Jesus could fulfill the law and, and fulfill the word perfectly, but progressively in our lives that we're, we're experiencing day by day in little areas of victory over sins. Then there's some areas of defeat, but we continue to pursue and, and, and pursue a pattern of holiness, of Christ-likeness, that in our lives we are seeing a, a growing sacrifice and a humility for the things of God and, and that these are evidences in our lives. And, and so that is one of the marks of an authentic faith as well as an obedience to the word of God. And then finally, also a love for others. That a genuine faith in Jesus Christ means that there will be a growing love for brothers and sisters in Christ and for others. Not a growing bitterness, 
We're releasing that, we're forgiving, and, and we're experiencing a deepening love for others. And these three tests are important, and we must take and examine our lives and apply to our lives. And when we do so, and when these are, we see that, yes, these are functioning realities. This is what I believe about Jesus. We can know that we know that we know that we know that we have eternal life. And it is something that we can have confidence in. And so today we want to talk about some hope, though. We want to talk about hope of eternal life. What is eternal life really all about? What is heaven all about? And, uh, and, and especially in a world that is so broken, we need hope. And, and, and here is what John is talking about when he talks about that he wants us to know that we have eternal life and, and, and have this confidence. And... Um, and so what I'd encourage you to do, though, is now turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to use um, John 14 now to be kind of a main text that we'll work out of as well as some other passages. And, um, and so verse 13 is our springboard to get to John 14, and, uh, and we'll read that along. And so I encourage you to have that ready because we're going to work through these three verses here this morning. This is the Gospel of John that, that he wrote, and, uh, and it gives us hope, this passage for the troubled heart. And John says in verse 1 of John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now Jesus, when he is, is saying this to his disciples, why is he saying do not be troubled? Because they're troubled. They are in the upper room. This is the night that he is going to be betrayed, arrested, and the next day would be dying on the cross and he would be dead um, within a, a few short hours, really. And so he's writing to his disciples, or not writing, he's telling his disciples, don't be, don't be afraid, do not be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, sometimes we can be troubled in life, can't we? And sometimes we can be troubled for good reasons. The disciples here were troubled for some very good reasons, but sometimes we are troubled for some not so good of reasons. We can get worked up over things that really don't make a difference. An example from our holidays that we were meeting with uh, some family in Regina and met with one of our aunts. She's um, just turned 80 and, and, and she was over visiting at my parents' place and, and, and one day uh, or in that evening she nicely came in the door and she said, I am so mad. I have not been oh I'm so angry and you just knew her blood pressure I mean veins were popping out of her head you know almost well not quite but I mean she's I've never been so angry and so upset in in such a long time I just can't believe and I thought oh my what's happened did her car get vandalized did she get broken into did something did someone say something terrible to her what's going on and she said I stepped out of my apartment and the hallway was so hot I couldn't believe, I put a thermometer down, it was over 90 degrees. I went and I tried to find the janitor and I wrote a note and I used red ink so that he would know how serious it is and I slipped it under his door he, and she's going on and I'm just like, chill, chill. It's just a hot apartment uh, hallway, be glad that you're, yeah, but she said, I went and checked. I, I thought maybe there's a fire. I was feeling doors to see if there was any heat on the doors and, and, and she said, and the other hallways were hot and I didn't know what to do and she was all worked up over a hot hallway. I'm like, take a chill pill. Come on. Like, really? So then I turned on Snapchat, Snapchat and showed her some funny faces that she could make, and it, it, it helped her to laugh a little bit, you know? And, and um, we get worked up. You say, why are you picking on your aunt? Well, because I didn't want to pick on myself. Do you get worked up over some really silly things sometimes, like driving? 
Yeah, driving the kilometers we did and all of the work stoppages and all the road construction, you think they could somehow coordinate it so it wouldn't slow me down. I mean, there was just, you know, and you get worked up and you, then you're getting behind these guys driving these semi-trucks that just drives, just, oh, just drive you crazy. And then the RVers and, and then, you know, some of them mustn't be from Canada the way they drive. They're just renting these RV, you know, and, and, and you're getting all worked up over driving. You know, and, and pick your poison. I mean, we all get worked up over things that really don't matter. But then here in this passage, we see what the disciples are really troubled about. And then there are times that we get troubled and should be troubled because of the things that we are facing and going through. And these things are happening and we're losing control and we don't know what the future holds. And we're troubled. Yeah, that's a very normal reaction when we're living in our strength and in our power. And he's saying here to his disciples who are troubled, he, he is telling them, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. The word for troubled here literally means agitated, disturbed, like massive waves and a small boat, massive waves of the ocean and a small boat. This is what he's talking about when he talks about troubled. And for the disciples, everything, their future, it was in question. Things were spinning out of control. G Judas had already taken off, and now they were facing some of their darkest days. Not only their darkest days, but the darkest days that this world has ever seen. As the Savior of the world would soon be on a cross. But they would lead, those dark days would lead to the best of days. But some of you have been in similar situations, a diagnosis, a serious health issue, an accident, a, a, a sudden death, or even a slow death of a loved one, or a financial collapse, or the end of a marriage, or a job, or a relationship, or, or just struggling with ongoing depression, or fear, anxiety, or mental anguish, and, 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 and you're troubled, and you've been troubled, and, and maybe you're sitting here right now, and you are troubled. You, you put on the Sunday smile, and, and, and things look fine, but on the inside, you're troubled and, and you're concerned and you don't know where to, where to turn and what to do next in certain situations. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus tell his troubled disciples? He doesn't give them a sermon. He doesn't give them a lecture. He doesn't give 12 steps to overcoming fear. He responds in two and a half verses. And in two and a half verses, he dispels the reason for them to be troubled and to give them hope. He says, first of all, don't be troubled. Believe in God, but he says, also believe in me. He's not asking for a blind faith. Following our God is not a blind faith. He's saying this to the disciples based on a very well-proven track record. In the last three and a half years that they have been with him, Jesus has been sufficient and he has been faithful. In every situation that they were in with Jesus, he had been sufficient and faithful. When it came to feeding the 5,000, he was sufficient and faithful. When it came to calming the stormy sea, he was sufficient and faithful. When it came to healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, he was sufficient and faithful. In all of the situations, this is who Jesus was. This is what he did. He was sufficient in those situations, in meeting every need. And not just barely meeting them, he overwhelmed the need. He blew it out of the water. And so for the disciples, when he was saying, trust in me, trust in me, they had to flash back to how he had been sufficient and faithful. And folks, we need to know here today, and I want to declare to you this morning with great love, but with great sureness in what I have to say, Jesus is sufficient and faithful for anything and for everything you and I will ever face. Amen. Is there any more to say amen to that? Amen. 
Jesus is sufficient and faithful. And so where is their hope for a troubled heart? It's in Jesus. Trust Jesus. He is sufficient and he is faithful. I can think over and over in my life the ways that he has been sufficient and absolutely faithful. Even at times when I have not been. And as I turn to him over and over again and leave the results to him, he is and always will be sufficient and faithful. That gives me great hope for the future. Yes, we are to trust him, but it's not a blind faith. It's based on his faithfulness. Story after story in this room of those of you who have walked through troubled times and some of you have walked through some of life's greatest and most difficult and deepest storms. And you would give testimony that he has been sufficient and faithful. That is who he is. Oh, we have to remind ourselves when the troubles come, when we are agitated, when we are fearful, when we are disturbed, when we're overwhelmed with all that is going on. And this truth is what will propel us to victory. Victory in this life, but ultimate victory to come. You see, we must remember the hundreds and hundreds of promises in the Word of God. That's why we love the Word of God. That's why we want you to be in the Word of God. That's why it's important to memorize the Word of God, to have His Word at it, just, just within seconds to be able to remember and to realize how good He is, to cling to it, to hold on to it. In all things, He is sufficient and He is faithful. You can go to the bank on that. But then Jesus tells His disciples something else. He tells them about home. He wants to tell them about home. You know, every, every year when we make the annual pilgrimage back to the prairies, I get excited to go home. You know what I get excited to see? Yes, family, of course, that, that's a no-brainer. But I can't wait to see the fields, the crops. Farm boy at heart, you can't beat it out of them no matter what, and, and couldn't wait to see it. And I even got to see some combines. I mean, first time I saw the combine going, it, it was like, ah, get the camera, you know, and got to get video as we're zipping by, you know, got to get this, you know, just, just like, yes, got, got, I mean, for a farmer and a comp, I mean, there's something about going home. There's something sweet about that. And here, what Jesus is talking about is not home down the street. He's talking about home, home. And he's telling, he wants to tell his disciples a little bit about home. And so the second thing here is we look forward to heaven. It's more than we can imagine. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you. Um, if it were not so, would have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also I wonder how often times do you think about heaven? Do you think about heaven very often? We hear the word, we talk about eternal life, but do we really know what heaven is really going to be like? Today there are many books and, and even popular movies that have come out about heaven and, and, and they're all pretty much the same story. Sorry, it might sound a little cynical, but they're all very much the same. I guess they kind of have to be. I died, I visited heaven, then I was revived, and here's what I saw. And so we get a depiction of heaven. Now, I don't discount that, that these people have actually had experiences like this. These, these experiences are possible. In Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen when he is dying. We see that the heavens are open before him and there he sees Jesus. He saw Jesus standing next to the throne of God. He, got a pro he, he, he had there a proper picture of heaven. And we're going to see that. That is a proper picture of heaven of what he saw. He saw a picture of home. 
Stephen was going home. First martyr, yeah, but he was going home, home where he belonged. And some of the accounts that you hear in these stories and books and movies really don't sound a lot like heaven. I mean, they have kind of the, the sniff of it, but when you examine it and you examine the word of God, you have to be very careful. You have to be wise. We also have to remember, folks, that Satan can, he does appear as an angel of light, and he can and deceive many people and is doing that. And so we have to be very, very aware, and we have to be um, discerning when it comes to the accounts that we hear and the books and the movies. Um, and, and, and a lot of these, sadly, will promote a very universalistic theology, which, you say, what do you mean by that? Basically, a theology that places everyone in heaven. These people who go there and they see people in heaven that Wow, they're here, you know, sort of thing. And, and I know heaven will have a lot of surprises, but, but the theology and the teaching that they, they give off in these kind of shows is that in the end, everyone's going to be in heaven no matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. And if you want to be in heaven, you'll be in heaven. That, that's not what the word of God says. And, and so we can't promote and we can't go along with, with that kind of teaching. Warren Worsby, a great Bible teacher, said, for the Christian, heaven is not a destination. It is a motivation. It is to influence our lives right now. Not in the future, not just as, yeah, that's a nice little cushion, it's a nice little thing. No, it's to, to direct our lives and to motivate us today and right now in our lives. Not just something to look forward to when we get old. Um, it's something, it is a motivation, not just a simple destination. And then C.S. Lewis was reading a little piece by him this past week, and he, he said that if you read history, the Christians who did the most for God, you want to live an effective life? You want to make a name for yourself? You want to live on purpose? It is about living a life fixed on heaven. And, and he went on to say that the, those who did the most in this present world were, were greatly and profoundly influenced and impacted by their focus on heaven and eternity. You know, we spend so much time on the things of this earth, the things that are temporal, the things that won't last. We get so bent out of shape when a scratch or, you know, one of those semis that I was describing to you flicked up some rocks and chipped the front of your vehicle and, and uh, maybe even your windshield and then you have to go see Tim about it and get it fixed and you're just like, it's not bad seeing Tim, but it's just like another crack on the old windshield. These things happen, you know, and, and we get so worked about all of these different things. We spend so much time on the temporal. We spend so much time on our bodies, on physical health and, 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 and healthy living. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but our focus is so strong in these areas and we're not thinking about our eternity we're not thinking about our eternal well-being and, and that of, of others and those around us. And eventually we come to the realization that nothing, as we strive for all of these things, and you may be successful in all areas of life, you may be looked upon as someone who, who, who is living a successful life, and yet you will come constantly over and over, and if you're not there yet, it will come to the realization that nothing on this earth will fully satisfy. And it's because we have been made for a different world. And this world will not satisfy. Abraham in Hebrews 11 says that he was faithful in this life. Yes, he was faithful in doing what God called him to do. But he was waiting for a city whose foundations, whose designer and builder was God. He was seeking heaven while he was living here on this earth. He was living for a different world. Moses, 
refused to be called Pharaoh's son, choosing to be mistreated. And it says, rather, and this is in Hebrews 11, rather than enjoying the pleasures and the treasures of Egypt, he looked forward to his eternal reward. Why? Because he was living for a different world. And we see the same for the Apostle Paul. We see it throughout the word of God. We see those living for a different world. He endured sufferings and struggles and hardships and persecutions. We back down. Soon as it gets tough, soon as it gets hard, soon as we feel a little insignificant, we back away from from areas of ministry, from opportunities to share the Lord. Oh, it's tough. I'm insecure. I have all of this. Paul took pounding after pounding and he kept going. And even through persecution, every time he went to go preach the gospel, it seemed it was ticking someone off and he was thrown in jail. He was beaten or he was rushed out of the city to go off to another place only to have it all happen again. Why? Because he had his eyes. He knew he was built for a different world. He was built for heaven. And so what do we know about heaven? How often do we think about heaven? Are we even motivated by heaven? Maybe we need to start today by repenting that we are way too focused on this earth and we got to be a little more focused on heaven. You hear that statement, oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. That's a false statement, can't happen. If you're truly heavenly minded, you are going to be earthly good. You're going to be earthly motivated to see others join you in heaven. And you're going to anticipate and live your life in going home to heaven. And that's going to have a profound and a significant impact here on this earth. And so maybe that's where we need to start at. So, so what do you think about heaven? If someone was to ask you, if you walked out of here and you go to a restaurant, you go um, down to the park today and, and, and you get talking to someone and say, hey, what did your pastor talk about? Oh, I went to church today and what do you talk about? What do you talk about heaven? What would your answer be as far as what is heaven like? Would you be able to give an answer as far as, so, so tell me, what is heaven? Uh, streets of gold, um, chubby angels um, singing on clouds, playing harps, eating cream cheese? You know, I mean, are, are these maybe some of the answers uh, that you would get, get you know? Or, or what are we going to be doing in heaven? Like, you know, just taking out the holy hymn book and starting at hymn number one and singing through it all. And then like, oh, we're done that, but it's still eternity. And so we start over again. This time, let's sing it in a different language. And let's sing it, you know, and, and is it going to just be singing from the holy hymn book for eternity? Is that what heaven's going to be like? Yeah, there's going to be worship in heaven, but it will be mind. Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. So, so, so there will be worship, but in heaven, we will be more active. We will be more alive. We will be more alert. We will, it's not going to be this place just of rest and tranquility where you just need to sleep for a thousand years. No, are you kidding? You're going to be on assignment for God. You're going to be doing things that, for his honor and his glory. It's going to be a joy. It's going to be fun. It's going to be more than we can ask or imagine or, or it, even our minds can, can fully comprehend as we'll see here in a few moments. You'll never grow old. You won't get bugged about your hair turning white. Still a little bitter about that, going home and seeing relatives. What's happening to your hair? What do you mean? Well, at least it's not falling out, I tell them. You know, and uh, never grow old. Hair won't change color unless maybe you want it to. I I don't know. Um, What the Bible has to say about heaven, I'll tell you honestly, it's hard to understand. Because it's about a different world. It's something we can't fully comprehend. But what we can see here in the word of God and what we're going to look at here in a few moments will leave you so stunned and amazed. And it's just like, can't wait to get there. But until there, I'm on mission. Not on mission for myself. I'm on mission for the king. It's me and the king. And the body of believers that God has planted me in to be on mission for him in this world. So what do we know about heaven? It's stunning, amazing. 
But more than that, we know it's a prepared place. Write that down. It's a prepared place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is not just a state of mind, you know, of, of, of some sort of conscious thinking or something. Oh, no, it's an actual place. And he's preparing it. As I mentioned, this summer we, we did a fair bit of driving going from the ocean on one side, and I think we have a picture of that all, all the way to, I mean, the prairie, the, the trip out to my parents' farm, the farm that I spent my summers on, you see it on the screen there, it was so flat. I mean, you watch your dog run away for, you know, like three weeks. I mean, you can just see it on the horizon just going, right? Like it's so flat, and yet it's so beautiful. It's such a beauty, the mountains and, and, and flowers and a thunder and lightning storm. I mean, just amazing. And, and I love, I heard this years ago and it has stuck with me. And, and if it took in all of this beauty, if it took our God six days to make uh, what you see, and this is just a small portion. We're not talking the Grand Canyon. We're not talking Niagara Falls. We're not talking about, you know, jungle forests. We're not talking about uh, the solar system, the universe, all of If it took God six days to create what we get to experience here, and he's been preparing heaven for 2,000 years, this world is a garbage can compared to what he has in store for us. It is a prepared place. It is a place that he is preparing. But here's something else. It's beyond our comprehension. We're not going to fully comprehend or understand what heaven is really going to be going to look like. I wish that we could take and make a separate little gospel track or a little little booklet for you, just just kind of like your guideline to what heaven is going to be like. There are some very good uh, biblical, uh, solidly researched books that that help you to understand that. Randy Elkhorn has written one that's like this thick. It's an amazing book. Uh, he also has a shorter version for those who want the short version, but. Heaven, one thing we know, it's beyond our comprehension for us to fully understand. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and Romans 8, 18 remind us in those verses, encourage you to read that this afternoon and this week because the verses ahead of that even and, and after that, just powerful verses. But these verses speak about the glory that is coming and it says beyond all comparison. You just won't be able to fathom, can't compare anything to it because we, we, it, it's a different world, it's a different realm that we just can't fully understand. Now, I encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look at some verses there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as Paul speaks of a vision, an encounter that he had, and, and, and Paul is writing this in a way that he's wanting to kind of just, not just like, oh, I had this experience, and, and, and he's showing, he, he's wanting to be humble in this, and so he, he's speaking here of an experience that a man had, but we know that that man that he was speaking about was him. And in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. You say, what's the third heaven? What's he talking about? What's the third heaven? Well, the ancients and the way that they saw this and believed, um, and, and it com makes complete sense um, and, and something for us to understand. The first heaven would describe the, the heavens that we see, like um, where the birds fly and the clouds are and, from the rain, and the rain that falls from the heavens. But then the second heaven is our solar system and, and, and by which we're going to get to see an incredible eclipse take place. Again, just shouts to the glory of God and his power. Um, seen something like eclipse and so second heaven is is the stars and the planets and the solar system and then the third heaven is the place of God's abode an actual place of God's abode and so it continues in verse 2 whether in the body or out of the body I do not know God knows and I know this man was caught up into paradise whether in the body or out of the body I do not know God knows and he heard things that cannot be told 
which man may not utter. And Paul just says, there's no words. It's not even what he got to see. It was even, he says here, he heard things. The things that he only heard in this vision of heaven. He's like, I don't even have words for it. And, and Paul, for Paul to run out of words, uh, that's pretty amazing. Because, I mean, where was it in the book of Acts that he preached one evening till midnight? And then a guy fell asleep in the window and fell out of the window and died. And then Paul went and prayed over him, revived him, and, and then he continued preaching to daylight. Paul had no shortage of words. But when it came to his description of heaven, no words. He could not utter what he saw. Words just beyond our vocabulary, beyond our comprehension. Now, when we were in Saskatchewan, my dad and I, we made a, our annual trip out to the old farm and this is where I'd spend my summers. And, and that's a picture of the two-seater outhouse that I was telling you about uh, about a month or so ago uh, that was used uh, very effectively for uh, quite a few years. Now, now this old farmhouse is over uh, 100 years old, just uh, built at the turn of the century, huh? not this century, the, the last century. And, and uh, we walked through it, and, and, and that old house is, is on its last legs. And, um, and as I took pictures of the farmhouse and walked around and my dad and I reminisced about different things and they didn't get power out there till 1953. Um, it was finally in the 80s that a phone line came out there and uh, no electricity, no phones. Um, and, and I couldn't help but to think that what if I was to show up there, if I could somehow go back in time to when they were building this at the turn of the century. And I showed up on site as the, the workers are, are there constructing this house. And, and uh, I went up and introduced myself. And, and I pulled out of my pocket my phone. And I started to, to show them and talk to them about my phone. And I turned it on and, and, and with this, this thumbprint kind of thing, you know, it turned on. And they're like, whoa, how did that happen? And, and then the screen lights, like, where did that light come from? And, and then you walk them through it and you talk about the internet and what you can search. And they're like, what's the internet? And, 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 and you try to explain to them what the internet is. And, and then you start going through your pictures. And, and uh, um, I have 20,000 pictures. And they say, you have 20,000 pictures on your phone? Well, no, uh, some of them are on my phone, but the rest are stored in the cloud and they're like looking like what cloud like you have pictures up in the like you start talking this language and then you tell them about how I can do banking and how I can 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 do a FaceTime and I dial up somebody you know in in Kelowna at that time and and we do a FaceTime talk and, and they're like how can you see this I mean their minds are just being blown away by this this earthly technology and when they would go home at the end of the day I couldn't help but wonder how would they describe this phone they're like there's no cords like there's no cords I mean, back then, like, you needed a cord. Like, how could it be, you know? And, and they would try to describe it to their children and their families. How would they be able to describe it? Not very well. You have to see it, and still even based on seeing it, they wouldn't be able to understand it. And here we have Paul having this experience, and soon we're going to see John having this experience, and they're trying to explain it, and yet it's in a realm that is unexplainable, beyond words, beyond comprehension. And when it comes to describing and understanding heaven, we fully can't do it. We're going to get little, little portions of it, and today we're going to see that, and, and we get some of that from the Word of God, but to truly understand it, it's going to be so mind-blowing. In Revelation chapter 4, Revelation 5, we get some snapshots of heaven. Turn to Revelation 4. We're going to read there in a moment. 
we get some snapshots of what heaven is going to be like. And here John is trying to explain something that just has no words for it. And now remember the book of Revelation. I mean, uh, difficult, but an amazing book. It, it requires careful study. And, and maybe one day we'll tackle that as a church. Um, would be a great study. But, but even looking here at these, these chapters here in verses 4 and 5, we get a description of, of heaven. And, um, and, and remember, Revelation is filled with, with symbolism and metaphors. And there's this imagery that we have. It's, it's hard to understand. It's hard for John to express this in, in, in words that we can comprehend um, fully here, even in what he was able to see. But I'll read here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he sat and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and car carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And then in verse 5, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And here we're getting this incredible, like, good luck trying to paint this. And, and then it's, it, it talks about some of the beings and some of the creatures and the 24 elders and, and all of this that we see here. And, and try to get an artist rendering of this. It would look bizarre. It would be like, how can you do this? And yet he's describing what he has seen. And, and, uh, but what it, what's the central part that we end up seeing here? That God is on the throne. And all around him is beauty and majesty, and power. We see the centrality of God on the throne in the midst of the universe, in the midst of heaven. And here's something else that we understand about heaven here from, from the other passage in John chapter 14 is that Jesus will personally one day take us to heaven. He's going to take us there. We don't go alone. He will take us to heaven. In verse 3, he says, I will come again and will take you to myself and that where I am, you may be also. And where is Jesus? We're going to see that. In Revelation chapter 5, you can turn over to Revelation 5. We'll read a couple verses there. It tells us where Jesus is. It's the same place that Stephen saw Jesus standing next to the throne of God. Who's standing next to the throne of God? Who's standing next to the throne of God? I just told you. Jesus. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad, not Hare Krishna, Jesus. The way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. He is standing next to the throne. He is standing there with God. Verse 6, and it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which were which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in him saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and evermore. This is just a mind-blowing, incredible scene. Jesus will take us there to the face of God. We will see God 
unmediated, without filter. He is the one who takes us into the presence of God. And that alone will be worth anything and everything that we can or would ever face here on this earth. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, our Redeemer, will one day bring us into the presence of the God of this universe where we will give nothing but praise and glory and honor to him seated on the throne. What a day that will be. Majestic, powerful, more than we could ever imagine. However, it's a very sobering thing though too to know that if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you will not be there. And as you read through the word of God, and especially in the book of Revelations, you see there's two places you end up. One of two places. There's not a third category. There's heaven, the throne of God, or there's hell. There's no third category anywhere in, in the word of God. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, it is of utmost importance, eternal importance. And it's not just for heaven, it's for the hope and the help that we have here on this earth. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit of Christ in us. And folks, the best way to prepare for heaven happens as we worship and give praise and glory to God through our, through our lips, what we do on a Sunday. As you're traveling, as you have earbuds in and listening to worship music, one great way to prepare for heaven is is as we worship through our, through our lips, but then also through our lives that we're living to his honor and his glory, making his name great, not ours, that he would increase more and more and we would decrease in significance and importance, that we would see that the way up in this life is down in humility. It gets humility and, and taking the low road. It's not a path that is uh, very wide. Not a lot of people have walked it and it can be a lonely road, but it is the way to life. That's what we see how our Jesus lived his life and how he calls us to live. Folks, this gives us incredible hope this morning. This is our glor glorious hope. This is a mind-blowing future and eternity that is being prepared for us. And this then allows us to live with confidence today knowing what's in store. Yes, there's trouble, but we can look forward to heaven. It's more amazing than we could ever imagine, but it allows us to then live with confidence today. 2 Corinthians 4.16, you have to have these verses. You need to underline them in your Bible because they are sweet and you will need to hold on to this. You will need to hold on to this, perhaps even this week or next or next month or in the next year. But these truths at some point in your life is that you are facing the troubles and the agitation and, and everything going on in your life, we can cling to the word of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For these light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are, 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, the outer self, the outer shell, is wasting away. You're getting old. You are, every one of us. And, and, and the older you get, the more you start realizing that and, and, and just can't do the same things that you used to do. And, and um, you're getting old. But when your heart, your focus is right, yeah, your outside can be wasting away, but the inside getting stronger, getting renewed, getting made almost younger because it's his power, his strength. And sadly, we spend so much time on the external to extend our lives. And, and again, I, it's not wrong to pursue a healthy lifestyle. But we're doing this at the expense of a shriveled soul. How much time do we put into our bodies day after day? How much money do we spend to, to, to look younger and to feel younger and to be younger and to help all these different things? And what are we doing to grow our soul and the souls of others who are either going to heaven if they know about Christ or they're going to hell? What is it? What are we focusing on? And I have to ask myself that because I just at times want to live my little comfortable vacation life rather than live for the call and the purpose that God has placed on my hands. In my heart, would we be faithful? Yes, the outer man is going to waste away. And I wonder if we need to, again, repent for giving more attention to the things that we see, the possessions, the houses, the bank accounts, the titles behind our name, rather than our souls and for the heavenly accomplishments and purposes. Our focus and our pursuits, our goals and investments, all of these different things, are we pouring it just into this life or are we sending it on to the life ahead? So oftentimes we don't think much of heaven. Souls are shriveling up. People are not content. Worldly pursuits don't matter and yet we continue to keep trying it ourselves. And all we give is God is the leftovers of our time, of our treasures, of our talents, rather than giving him the first bit. We live in our insecurities and we live in our excuses rather than stepping out in faith. Heard it said recently that as you get older, you will either grow bitter or you will grow sweeter. And as you get older, you lose some, I think at times, of the defense mechanisms are way of deflecting what's really going on in your heart. And I believe today our nursing homes can easily be filled with people who are either bitter or they're becoming sweeter. Becoming sweet in senility, perhaps. And uh, when we, a few weeks ago, when we were in the church that we started out in ministry, we uh, got to meet with a lady. I don't know, if, do we have that extra picture that was thrown in there? We don't have it, okay, of of a dear sweet lady in her early 90s. Her name is Anne, Anne Berg, and, and um, she will phone us from time to time and leave messages on our voicemail, and we can't erase them. They're, they're, they're saved on our, our answering machine because of her love and because of her concern. She's had a difficult life. She's walked through some difficult trials and storms, and even now, as we saw her a few weeks ago on a Sunday, and she said, I'm the only one left in my family. My sister is gone. I'm lonely. I miss her. 
but I'm trusting the Lord. And she's smiling and she's hugging and she says, I pray for you. And then I read on, on social media the week that we left that she had taken out for lunch this young mom who had recently had her husband run out on her and left with, uh, uh, with her young son. And, and, and Anne took her out to encourage her and, and pour blessing upon her. And instead of becoming bitter over the things that have happened to her, and there's been good reason to, you could say, for her to become bitter and, 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 and just live life in her own little shell. She's become sweeter and more gracious. And, and, and at times we, we think she's part angel. We figure she must be part angel. Am I growing? How am I growing? Am I growing bitter towards life, towards God, towards others, or am I growing sweeter? It goes on to say, for the troubles and trials we face, Paul says, they're light momentary affliction. These light things, you say, what I've been going through is not light. It's heavy. It's been going on for a year or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or how long have I been married? You know, like however long that, that, that these, that these, they're not light and momentary afflictions. But what Paul is talking about here when, when he says these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us eternal weight of glory, he's talking about a scale here. And on the one scale, you have your trials and you have your difficulties. And on the scale you have, on the other side of this scale, you have the glory and the majesty and the power and what is coming in eternity for us. And it says it far outweighs. It's like an elephant on, on, on one and it's a flea on the other. Insignificant. In light of eternity. Not insignificant here. And we don't want to make light of sorrows and difficulties. And, and fears that you've gone through. But there's an answer for it. The answer is Jesus. The answer is the, the word of God. And the spirit of God. And the church of God. Helping and walking you through that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven even now. We come to you. In light of your word today. We know that even in this room. And we know definitely in this region. And in this world there's trouble. There's troubled hearts and you are the answer for that. Would we put our faith and our trust securely in you and you alone? Knowing what lays, lies ahead for the follower of Christ is amazing. May heaven be a motivation. May we be motivated because of heaven and the glories that await us and for the glory of seeing you face to face. What a day that will be. But until then, may we be useful for you and for proclaiming your glories here on this earth. And this is all made possible because of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Oh God, may we repent. May we be repenting of people for having the wrong priorities and, and, and not paying attention to your word and to your truths in the way that we should. Oh God, would you do a new work and a fresh work in each one of us as we worship you, Jesus the Lamb of God.